Welcome to Leadership of Fools, a podcast for people prepared to have real, raw and relevant leadership conversations. Today's leadership topic, what can leaders do to be aware of and address everyday sexism in their organisations? Peggy O'Neill joins us, the president of the Richmond Football Club, and Tim Reid, the CEO of MYOB. Hello and welcome to Leadership of Fools. I am very excited. My name's Amanda Buckley and I am at the mic. Uh, Colin Beatty, as always, is joining me at the mic. Thanks, Amanda. And we have two wonderful guests joining us at the mics. We have Peggy O'Neill. Hello. Hello. And we have Tim Reid. Hi, everyone. Yeah. Um, Colin, I'm going to throw straight to you uh, because I don't want to mess this up. What's our topic for today? Uh, the topic we're dealing with today is what can leaders do to both be aware of and probably more importantly to address everyday sexism in their organisation in the workplace. Colin, when are we going to do something serious? You're always throwing these. I know, <laughs> I know. Just the about. just the light topics, <laughs> just the really easy ones. We're expecting Peggy and Tim to nail this within the next, yeah, no you pressure. know, three minutes or so, <laughs> with their wisdom and their insight. I have to say, I do love that these are the topics that get um, that get bitten into, um, they're the topics that matter. So I'm really, again, I'm excited uh, not just to talk to everyone here today, but to really hear what comes out of this topic. Yeah, because they are, I mean, leadership is always, I mean, you've probably heard me say this before, but it's the choosing between what's right and what's right. So they're never easy questions. They don't have black and white answers. Um, And uh, I must admit to even being a little nervous myself today, thinking about the topic, like uh, there are things I constantly become aware of from a generation, my generation, uh, so I'm in my late 40s, um, I'm not always aware of the things people experience as sexism, the things that I've probably in my own working environment not been particularly conscious of. Colin, I'm a woman and I'm also nervous because, yeah, this is good stuff. It's It's good good stuff. stuff. That's right. The nerves are because it matters. Good. No, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. If it wasn't important, you wouldn't care. Yeah, but I thought we might even get underway just kind of warming up to this. Um, I know both... Peggy and Tim have at least some background in concepts of around champions of change. Um, Tim, I might get you started. What, what's a champion of change? Absolutely. So I am a male champion of change. Um, the Male Champions of Change was a program that Liz Broderick started about eight years ago when she was the Sex Discrimination Commissioner for Australia. And having spent about 30 years um, trying to... Um, promote and get behind different initiatives to allow women to flourish in our community and in our society. She had an epiphany, and she'll call it a disruptive thought, that um, so long as women were the only ones who were being held accountable for the status of women in our society, that it just wasn't going to change. You're right. And I think she'll say that the trajectory we were on was that we would have sort of gender equity in rough terms in the workforce somewhere in 180 to 200 years' time at the the rate of progress that we were making. Which meaning reliance on women themselves to drive the the, the change well, just, agenda. Just, just everything that was happening at that yeah. moment, which was predominantly uh, women being taking accountability uh, for the status of women. So she decided to start Male Champions of Change and say, you know what, what we're going to do is get a group of men and have them take accountability for the system 
that is promoting to the extent that you know eight percent of ASX two hundred companies are um, are led by women. When you go through executive ranks at that point, it was about you know in the rough order of twenty percent, and frequently in specific functional roles in businesses. So she functional um, roles like marketing, marketing HR, HR etc. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So she got together eight of the CEOs of Australia's largest businesses and started Male Champions of Change. Mm. Well, it's now somewhere in the order of 160 or 170. Um, I've been a Male Champion of Change for the last two years. I'm part of a group of 15 who work in STEM-related areas, so Mm -hmm. vice-chancellors of universities, research organisations, as well as for-profit businesses like MYOB. Uh, what it really means, what it boils down to, is that you make a certain number of commitments. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, um, that you are going to have a plan to address gender equity in your organisation. Uh, number two, that you will set goals and that you will publish those goals and um, report on your progress towards those goals. Uh, number three, that you'll commit company resources to um, examining areas um, so, for example, the one that um, that we're doing at MYB at the moment is everyday sexism. Yeah, so right. today's a great topic for, for us to be talking about. Uh, that you'll take the panel pledge, which means you will not... Uh, um, you will not represent your company. You you will not attend a panel that is all of one gender. Right. So you, okay. you yep. will promise to go out there. And yeah. Make in keynote sure that, speaking events. Yep. Correct. Yep. That, that there is a gender balance being um, promoted as what leadership in that industry is. Yeah. Bloody great! <laughs> I'm really excited. <laughs> what is that woman's name again? I Liz need... Broderick. Oh, yeah. she's uh, awesome, and I love you, Liz. <laughs> she is an inspiring, um, inspiring individual. In fact, I had the the privilege of um, travelling to her, to New York with her earlier this year because Kelly O'Dwyer, the Minister for the Status of Women in Australia, put forward Male Champions of Change as Australia's initiative to take to the United Nations um, and on the Commission of the Status of Women. And, and I had the, the unique privilege of being one of the cha- Champions of Change to go with Liz and hear her talk to the rest of the world about this program. Wow, how was and that our stories too. Look really well. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting as a man, the thing that she warned me against or about was that it was quite likely that there would be negativity about me being there. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, because this is an area where many women have spent decades dedicating their um, their efforts, their passion, their lives, and that you know having men be a part of that conversation isn't always welcomed. But what the male champions of change is about is is men taking accountability for the gender outcomes in their organisations. It's not about fixing women. It's not about helping women. It's not about seeing there being a problem and therefore asking women to deepen their voice to have more gravity when they make a point in yeah, meeting, sure. etc. Yep. It is about changing a system which takes in people of, you know, broadly speaking, roughly equal talents. If you look at before entering the workforce on most metrics, it'll be 49, 51, 48, 52, something. And then seeing a system that gives half of those people entering the workforce a 10 to 20 times um, higher probability of reaching the upper echelons of of that system. And you just stand back and look at that and, and that is wrong. Um, And there is something that's happening through that system that means that systematically half of the entrants have a dramatically different probability of achieving 
what some would define as their goals. Not yeah. that everyone wants to get to those echelons, but some would. And, and, and it's really about addressing those systematic things that exist in businesses that, that lead to those outcomes. Um, there's many uh, questions already, but let's let's link this to your experience of this, Peggy, in terms of maybe even the perhaps the sporting lens around, yeah, around this topic. Yeah, it was interesting to hear what Tim had to say um, uh, because there is an, a, a sport male champions of change and um, that originated uh, actually with Richmond's we had a research project that the Australian Sports Commission, the AFL, funded and came up with what it takes to be the best gender equality in sport. And it was about all kinds of sporting organisations. And one of the initiatives that came out of that was uh, our management team, having heard about the champions of change that Liz Broderick had put in place, approached her saying, what if we did that for sport? Yeah, great. Uh, and the efforts that they put in to identify national sporting organisations, so it wasn't just about AFL, me being involved with Richmond, but they went to you know tennis, rugby, soccer, basketball, swimming, and uh, at that time all the CEOs of those national sporting organisations were men. Uh, there was a bit of a backlash just like what you were describing, Tim, and I, I myself didn't quite understand it because... I thought if the people in power agree to share it, you can take a quantum leap in a way that you can't if women are just trying to work it through themselves. So I think good men who want to help, all the better, and that means that we can we can progress a lot more quickly. Uh, the sport male champions have changed. Uh, now they aren't all male anymore. Um, uh, still meet regularly. The same sorts of... Uh, pledges that Liz requires anyone that uses the Champions of Change name. So adopts the same philosophy. Adopts the same philosophy. Yeah. And, um, and right now, the, this year's big project is pay equity. And as we know in sport, that's become quite a hot topic as more and more women, fortunately, are able to participate at the highest levels, but pay equity isn't there. Uh, the head of Tennis Australia, and of course uh, the Australian Open is one of the few in the world that pay men and women yeah, equally, that's right. uh, is is helping with the learnings from that and they're, uh, they're working through. So it doesn't mean it happens in one year, but it means that that's the focus for the efforts for that year. So um, so sport was was quite eager and, uh, and after a while, and I don't know if Tim found this as well, organizations that weren't included at first, found great value in wanting to be part of it and be part of the conversation. So um, so it's it's been quite successful and, and there have been reports. Uh, it doesn't mean that everything's fixed, but it means people are working on the problem in a considered, methodical and diligent way. And I think that's what it takes. It isn't a short-term fix. It's a long-term fix and we want it embedded in the organizations that we're involved with. And that's what I'm getting a sense of already. It's a changing a system and anytime you're trying to change a system, it picks up a whole lot of things, behavioural cues, how we measure things, uh, what we showcase, what we reward. So so that's uh, even if the topic itself today, which I think is fascinating and uh, it's a topic about change and that's you know that applies to any organisation no matter what you're trying to change. Um, I can't help but ask this question of you, Peggy. Uh, the uh, Being an AFL president, are you the... First female AFL. I am. Can you believe that? Yeah, uh, I, no. Uh, well, no, it's <laughs> no. only been I've only been president for five seasons, so to think that in the history of the game there hasn't been one before me is a bit um, 
sad, yes. but uh, hopefully I'm not the last. I'd love but to have also, people. But also, when you say I've only been the president for four, for five seasons, yeah. did you hear what you just said? <laughs> and they've, and been, they've the been a good five that, seasons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the Tigers, Peggy, oh, there, I might there have say. There ups and downs. Last season was a good season. There the was one a good, before that season. was not so good. And But, you know, you build. Yeah. Those yeah. are all long-term <laughs> commitments. Um, before we started recording, when I said that I don't like football, I take it all back. I love it. And yeah. um, go Richmond. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I have a membership form here. Yeah. Um, I'm going to bring up the topic just in a moment. I'm curious for both of you uh, in terms of what you've just alluded to, what what have you both been learning? So what's been hard about this? What's been – where have you had wins? What's the insight you can draw already, Tim? Look, for for me, I'd say broadly speaking – it's been an enlightening couple of years. Um, And it started out with me doing what we called listening sessions where I um, got a group of women who were starting their careers inside our business and we talked around a whole range of topics around gender in the workplace. Um, A group of senior men in the business and had the same conversation and a group of senior women in the business and had the same conversation. The most enlightening thing for me was how aligned the women who were starting their careers Mm -hmm. and the senior men were on their perspectives and how separate the senior women were. Well, I'm intrigued already. I can can totally see... Yeah, why that is so. Because you've, I, got, you've got it already, whereas I haven't. Oh, like, well, yeah, because why shouldn't they have the same goals and ambitions? But it's the in-between that pounds it out of you. Yeah, ah, it's what happens on the journey. Right, and and wow. it was, I've okay. got to say, it was, um, you know, incredibly the, the senior women's session was by far the most intense conversation of the three. Mm. Um, there was a perspective from the women who were starting their careers that the world was at their feet and, you know, and they weren't going to let anything stop them and get in the way. There was a perspective from the senior men acknowledging that there's probably more we could do but just tell me what the answer is and I'll do it. So Mm. there was good intent Mm. but very little ownership. And then from the senior women there was just a feeling like it was just an ongoing push and every single day facing something in a different form, in a different way, some very, very small ways. Um, There wasn't a uniform view of of what the sort of the most important issues to address were. There was, you know, So it's not not immediately obvious, like it's not... No. Black and white, we'll just do this, followed by this. But what was glaringly obvious to anyone who would have written one takeaway comment is the system's broken, yeah. right? So yeah. so you couldn't leave yeah. sort of then thinking, oh, I might back out of being this male champion of change because <laughs> that that was absolutely there. Uh, what else has has been – what else have I learnt on the journey? Um, the, there is a wide range of um, views, perspectives, but I'd say even awareness, and, and it really starts with awareness mm-hmm. uh, and, and divergent um, views on – the use of some language, um, for example, and there'll be different views from different women. And, you know, and so there's, there's not a solution and I think people struggle with that. They'd like to know, well, just tell me what I can and can't say and I'll say it or won't say it. You know? yeah. and, and it's really not that simple, yeah. the context with which things are done, you know, the, 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 the way in which, you know, we use tone in our voice, the glances that get made, the et cetera, are all a part of this. Um, and so it is a, a very, very challenging topic, but there are some simple things that you can do as well, um, starting the conversation. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm that thing about um, 
how you address people. I am guilty as sin for just calling people guys. Hey, guys. Um, when I'm training people, um, younger people, even uh, in corporate situations where I'm doing workshops, it's just such a habit of mine to refer to a group of people as guys. How do you feel about the use of the term girls? I Also fine. But it's weirdly a habit, which is, and I'm a female, so you would think that I would be more aware of the fact that I'm using what is, you know, historically referred to as a male term um, for a group of people. And it has been pointed out to me several times, I would prefer you don't say that. I prefer you don't say guys and girls. I prefer you don't say, hey, ladies and gentlemen, why can't you just say, hey, people? So, so Peggy, yeah. in your um, law experience, mm-hmm. if there were a group of women um, in the office and someone referred to them as girls, how do you think they would feel? They would feel as if their status was diminished. Uh, because we don't call the men boys, hey boys. Um, and I think the same sort of way that uh, women in sport are called the girls for often, that's the girls team, even if they are the senior team in that particular thing. Um, I think it has become sort of familiar over time and women do talk about themselves as girls sometimes, uh, but that's usually with your close friends and that's sort of okay. But I think in an office setting, a professional setting, you need to afford respect by the proper title of men and women. And and would Mm -hmm. it be different if it was a woman versus a man using that term? Uh, Personally, I don't like it no matter who uses it. Um, But I think that that I would judge the man more harshly, and maybe that's me, in effect, because so often it is used to um, diminish the status. And I think that um, part of what you were talking about, Tim, I think the first step is assessing where you are as an organization. And the listen and learn sessions, I think, have been quite valuable from people I know who have conducted those. But I think the first thing is not to assume that you're somewhere along the journey because I've heard many times people say, oh, we're okay. We're okay. Nobody's complained. And you think if you have to wait for someone to complain and and push through whatever is uh, stopping that information coming through is you probably do need a bit of help. But the first thing is the... uh, is is just f- trying to honestly figure out where the organization is and um, and what are the first steps that you can take that you can make some meaningful change, but uh, but change is hard, and yeah. getting organizations to change is very very difficult, and to make it stick and make it not be personal to just Tim and what he's doing in his organization or men who are CEOs of other organizations or that it shouldn't be dependent on them by the time they leave that ought to be part of what they do. But that's very, yeah. very hard work. I just had this idea if 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 company you know, people often say our people are our our products are our people, mm-hmm. our business is our people. But um you know, talking about change in the in the way that we're waiting for complaints before we make a change. But you wouldn't do that with a product. If you if it was just a, a piece of tech, you would be constantly trying to innovate and improve. But we don't do that for people mm. until there's a complaint. Yeah. It's a it's such a Guys, I just solved it. I, just <laughs> solved it. I mean, I didn't, but I think I did. I'm really yeah. excited. I'm having an to, adrenaline rush. To the extent that we do, one of the things that we've done since, um, you know, over the last two years since signing up as male champion is to look at things through a gender lens. So we always measured our team engagement. You know, we always looked at it. You know, I'm, I'm really proud that team engagement is higher at MYAB for women than it is for men. Now, we have a goal of making sure that the two don't move apart too much. Right, so we now measure engagement by gender. 
Uh, so we're we, not going to bully the boys. <laughs> well, look, we, we want to create an inclusive environment. Yeah. You know, so we, we measure it. Um, uh, we measure pay by gender and we, I make sure everyone, the leadership team across our business, understands what the gender pay gap is in different parts of the business. You know, we measure leadership. We measure participation in leadership programs by gender. We always measured those things. We didn't always look at a gender lens. And once you do, you start to see areas, you know. There are some areas of our business um, where, we've, where we've got all male teams, 13 people, one, that comes to mind. In our last quarterly reviews, because I go through with each of our executives, look at their goals quarterly, which include the gender representation on their teams, you know, it was the first time that we actually highlighted it that there was an awareness that somewhere down in the part of the organisation that that person was responsible for was a 100% male team because it had never been highlighted. And so that's one of the first things in building this awareness and just working out where you're starting from. Can I, can I, can I sharpen the edge on this for a moment? And, I, and I'm actually totally okay. We, we, we're tackling this topic. Um, so I think I, at one stage I probably needed to introduce the topic again, but we're tackling no, it Colin, right now. No, Colin, and if we keep tackling it this hard, we might get a government grant. You never know. We're really doing you never know. That's yeah, right. Yeah. I'm that's not right. saying sponsorship deal, that's but right. I'm just that's saying. Right. <laughs> so I want to sharpen the edge, edges on what you've just said. Um, so at this table we have uh, a CEO of an ASX-listed company in you, Tim. We have – in Peggy, we have uh, both a – a very experienced lawyer and the president of an, uh, an AFL football club, which is elite. Um, and, and the premiers. And the premiers, just to be very <laughs> – yeah. just to just remind us. I think there's us. a Brownlow medal <laughs> somewhere yeah. in that yeah. team. That's right, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Norm Smith medalist. We've got a whole lot of things. Okay. So um, the question is why does this matter? What You're talking about measuring things. What? Why do you care, Tim? Look, I, I can explain this at three different levels. Number one, I genuinely believe – that diverse teams are far more likely to find creative solutions to real problems. Um, so when I look across Australia, um, you know, the, um, the client base that we're trying to serve is very representative of the overall community. Even if the client base weren't, frankly, bringing ideas from the outside to solve a problem in a certain area is always going to, you know, will we'll always increase the probability that you'll solve that problem successfully. So to me, at its core, um, diversity is a strength for an organisation. It makes it more difficult to run. So Tell if us you about have that. a group of yep. homogenous people who think and operate the same way, getting that team to perform is much easier. Easier to make decisions, easier yep. to work at pace. A absolutely. But the decisions aren't necessarily better decisions. Correct. In right. fact, what they will be is on a narrower lens. Yeah. And, and so the first thing I think everyone has to recognise is um, if, if you don't have an inclusiveness um, agenda, then don't bother about a diversity one because the antibodies in the system that exist the way it is will reject <laughs> the new ones coming in. Uh, but secondly, don't kid yourself that it's an easy road because more diversity does create a wider range of perspectives, which isn't always easier to manage, but I believe, if you can, will lead to more successful outcomes. That's number can one. I, can I fire up a bit about that? Because yeah. that, that's one of the things that really worries me, um, and maybe I'm... Uh, what's the word? Maybe I'm a little cynical as it relates to Australian organisations that we will give up before the benefit is achieved. Um, 
Oh, yeah. So that's a hard one to respond to. Um, I can tell you I won't be. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do think, and Peggy touched on this earlier, th- this movement has created a momentum in Australia. And I can tell you from the CEOs that I mix with and talk to, um, there is um, far more interest in what's happening, in what's succeeding, in what challenges, like people are far more interested in this topic than they were three to five years ago. And I think the more we keep talking about it, the more it stays front of mind. Great. That it's not a tick the box and, oh, yeah, we have a gender program. Yes. But another thing, we're talking about language, is I never think of gender diversity. It's gender equality and it's about fairness. And I think diversity is about more than just gender, but when you're 50% of the population, it's not diversity, it's equality. Yes. And yes. and I think that when you spoke um, about perhaps we'll give up, I think businesses, if they look at internationally where there's a bit more um, long-term experience in this, the performance of those organizations shows that you do reap the benefits yes. uh, if you give it enough time. Yes. And if there's a true cultural shift behind it, it's not just we'll sprinkle some women around and we're, we're fixed now because lots of times those women are doomed to failure because they didn't really include them and the inclusiveness goes along with uh, making sure that equality is throughout the organization. Yeah. So I think there'll be nothing better that than when the economics really stack up. Um, and I only say that because I... Uh, it's probably the, it probably was the question I was asking of you both, what's the driver for this? Um, and I think when the economics really stack up, we can be confident no matter who's in that office, whether it's the president, the CEO, yeah. that they're doing it for the right reasons. I think reasons. you also have to realise that you've just, you know, exponentially increase the pool of talent to pull from. Of course. Absolutely. It's, and of the course. economics is not just the board or the CEO. It's just the pool of talent. And, yeah. and one thing in, in sporting clubs and in, in my football club is you don't get to make a lot of decisions, but you want to make sure that they're the best ones you can. Absolutely. You know? And yeah, you don't want to do any harm. You want to do good. And so the more views you have before you arrive at a considered decision, the better, because all too often you're just speaking to yourself. And that is easier and it might be a lot more fun. But if you're interested in the long-term welfare of the organization, you really need to have as many voices represented as possible in the organization and around the board table. And when people see themselves represented, the likelihood is that then they can see themselves in that position. And so then they would be they would apply for things, they would be more inclined to participate in leadership forums, like you were saying, extra training, things like that, because they're seeing it's possible, it's uh, supported and uh, or, it, or it's just normal. When it's just it's normal, it's even better yeah. um, that there's not a um, – that you don't actually have to say we need more women to apply for this because there's it's just normal to apply for the job you want and to work towards the goal you want. Yeah. So two other reasons, Colin, sure. from my perspective. So that's the first one and that's the hard yes. business one. The second, I would say, which is also a relatively hard business one, is just about managing risk in an organisation. Yes. I believe the community's expectations of us as leaders are changing and are evolving. Um, and you look at everything that's happening with the Royal Commission right now, you just look at w- what is the pub test? What would the average person be expecting a business to do? What would they expect a leader to be responsible and accountable? for and it's not what they could do 
It's what they should do. Yes. And that was the real question that ASIC examined in their examination of CBA and, and of the, the culture there. And they said that there was too much of a focus on what should be done rather than what could be done. And I think in terms of managing a brand and one that you know I would love to have more people engaging with, um, that the expectations of the community are that the organisation will reflect the, the, the community. And that doesn't happen if you're strongly weighted to the representation of half of the community yes. at the exclusion of the other half. Yes. So I think that's also a, a longer-term one but a, but a hard business reason. The third for me is just a very personal one. I feel really, really ashamed of standing in front of graduates coming into our organisation knowing the simple facts of the system that they're entering, the corporate system... Is not fair. Is, yeah, <laughs> is, 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 is heavily weighted mm. towards the advantage of one group over the other. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not talent, it is the system that that promotes that talent, that shapes that talent, that creates those pathways and opportunities. And so I just, I mean, it's just wrong. And so for me, that actually becomes a personal driver of this, which I, I would hope is, is one that other people in business will see as well. That's great. A bit of it is, is language, as we've talked about. I think a lot of it is assumptions about people without really knowing them. Oh, you know, she is just holding on this job for a little while and go off to something else. You know, in um, the dark ages, the 1970s, and if a woman got married, she lost her job often. I know. And, I know. It's uh, phenomenal, isn't and, it? Oh, somebody which is t- not too far, far in the distant when past. you think about yeah. it, which is why this momentum that Tim was talking about, to keep up because you can go backwards so quickly. Yeah. Yes. And uh, when you think really, was that what happened? Is somebody was supposed to take care of you for the rest of your life so you didn't need to work you? Uh, but that was part of the reality. And sometimes when you think if, you know, working and doing a good job is sometimes hard enough when you're putting your effort in, if you're also having to uh, every day get yourself mentally prepared to go in and do battle again for what's something that should be more free-flowing and that you should feel included... Well, after a while, it does wear you down. So it's if someone can start, the battle is exhausting. It's exhausting. Isn't it? So if someone can help keep the door open for you, if someone can have those words of encouragement and make sure that something happens around that, uh, I think women respond to that. That, and as um, you were saying, women do think if they have a legitimate chance, and that the organization is. Um, serious about making a difference is they'll apply for those jobs. They'll stick with it. They can see a career path. They can see that um, they're with an organization that they can care about. And I always think you do your best work and you go the above and beyond what needs to be done. If you care about the organization you're involved with, whether it's not for profit, whether that's your yes. job, whether it's the football club, whether it's something, yeah, is you have to have a deep connection to it. And it doesn't happen if you feel like you're um, fighting an uphill battle all the time. I mean, the yeah. fact that maternity leave, you know, you, you, you've got your job and not, not all of us have children, not all of us, you know, are, are going to use maternity leave, but some of us might accidentally find themselves on maternity leave without having planned that happening. Not speaking from personal experience, <laughs> totally personal experience. Um, so it's, it, it happens and then you return to work and it's very, very hard to either maintain the position you had. If you were on a trajectory, of course, you've taken time out. I think women aren't silly. We understand that we have to take time out and we understand the the whole concept of the fact that 
things change while you're not there. But to think that you can never get back there, to think that, you know, the likelihood of me ever making it to a certain position because at some point I do want to have a child. So, and it's an interesting one how um, once you shine a spotlight on that, some of the small things that can be incredibly empowering. So it was probably 18 months ago that we promoted the first person who was on parental leave. And so, you know... Whilst on parental leave. Whilst on parental leave. Yep. So she had left to have um, to spend some time with her um, new baby and, you know, before going on leave, promotions in our engineering team happened twice a year and, you know... and based on what she'd achieved, we went through that same process and promoted her despite the fact she was on parental leave, right? Why on earth wouldn't we? You know, we wanted her to come back to the organisation. She'd done everything that everybody who wasn't on parental leave had done to get that promotion. So, yeah. you know, why wouldn't you? But it was it was an incredible moment and, you know, just those little things to make people believe that it is actually possible. I would not underestimate the effect that would have had on people working that would have witnessed that. I think that would be something that people would genuinely be applauding. So, so Colin, just um, getting back to the what is everyday sexism, um, to quote Liz Broderick again, <laughs> I obviously listen to, to her. <laughs> quote her, um, I love her. She, um, she has described it as the gender asbestos, that it's right. in the walls, it's in the ceiling, it's in the floors, it's invisible and it's deadly. And, um, and and she has just sort of said it's all of those tiny little things, the language. You know, I mean, I had a conversation the jokes. with... The jokes. I had a conversation with um, some of our team members and we tend to wear T-shirts at work and company T-shirts tend to be black. Mm. And so the positioning of of a word or a logo across the chest, mm. right, um, is, is it, it makes men and women feel differently mm. about wearing that T-shirt. And so it's these little things that aren't done, I think, with mal intent, but are done with a lack of awareness. The assumptions of what that the, you're yeah, what the, the impact will be. And yeah. sometimes it's thoughtless rather than intentional. Yes. Um, but I also, when we talk about everyday sexism, um, one of the things is you know, I'm old enough to have been a first at a number of things as mm. the only woman. And the only woman in a room, looking back on it, you, you realize you can't be yourself when you're the only one. I say when you're the only woman in the room, you're all the women in the world. And you think mm. a chance of another woman getting a, a chance to do this or the opportunity depends on how these men think about me. That so suddenly you, so I'm there's representing... More, there's more inherent pressure. Well, and to go along and to be likable and to... Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I think I'm pretty polite and pretty likable. But you realize that because um, I've heard a number of times, oh, well, we had a woman on the board, didn't work out, we're just not going there again. And uh, and you think... We're not going there again. We're not going there again. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And, 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 and we'll so write off 50% of the population yeah, because, because of one experience. Which I've been back to McDonald's <laughs> heaps of times. Yeah. And he repeats on me every <laughs> time, but I go back. <laughs> I know. Or you think, well, did you ever think it may have been the rest of you and, yeah. and not that person. But I think that's an, an example of everyday yeah. sexism is we'll see how this one goes. And if this one goes okay, well, maybe we'll open the door. And, and the chances that there was an inclusiveness program that went ahead of that change <laughs> <Yeah>. was... <laughs> Zero. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, so uh, so some of those things which are, as you say, it's, it's the way we do things around here and that's the definition of culture. And if your culture is we give a, we give a woman one chance or we'll do a trial but we don't really have the support and we and we'll just see 
judge everybody by how that one experiment goes is um, is the way we do things around here. So I'm starting to make some sense. I, I, the imagery of asbestos is actually very, very powerful. I like it, uh, you know, and the deadly part especially and the fact that it's not – we're not aware of it. Um, the second part is almost where we started today, which was we're trying to change things systemically – so they're not always the most obvious things. So if this was sexual harassment and it was obvious, um, you know, organisations go, well, we deal with yeah, that. that's quite yeah. different. You know, yeah, it's in our and, policies and, and we, you know, we would never let that it's happen. It's the law. And it's against the law. Of, and lots of people Good think point. that's quite And that's a really yes. important point there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. but, you're, you're, but it's not. This is the stuff that happens, yeah. like it says, every single day. And, 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 and look, there are so many examples, right? One of the things... Uh, we've been looking at uh, the correlation between um, the growth mindset, innovation, and um, and engaging women in the workforce. Mm-hmm. And you know, growth mindsets are mindsets where you believe that people can improve. You believe that things are possible. Versus yes. fixed mindsets, he or she does not have that particular skill, and therefore they can't do this job. Well, maybe they don't have the skill, but maybe they could learn that skill and and so on. So it's it, you know it's that fundamental belief that there's a journey and a journey of growth that enables. If you write position descriptions that um, are framed with a growth mindset, so um, the types of skills that have proven to be successful in this role include the following. Um, you know, we have a comprehensive program to help people yes. develop skills where they are versus must have X years experience yes. in this role with you know these things. Uh, the the research has has shown that you will get a lot more proportionately a lot more women applying for roles that have position descriptions written taking a growth mindset than a fixed mindset. It doesn't deter men to apply for a role because something's written with a growth mindset versus a fixed, <laughs> yeah. but it does with women, Yeah. right? So they're those sorts of things as well, which it's, you know, that's the asbestos. It's I don't think anyone really intentionally set out to write a position description that was far more attractive to one gender than another, but that's the consequence of, yes. of what exists today. And it's just an onion where, you know, I think what we might come back in a few years and talk about everyday sexism being being completely sets, different sets of examples once we've peeled back the onion a I few more layers. I can't wait to see what those examples are. No, no they'll be better, I promise. Yeah. Well, and, they'll be and possibly tougher. all the time. Yeah. I think that just on that really quickly, um, the thing I see is I work in admin. I work predominantly with females because I'm a part-time worker. Um, I'm also a parent. I work with many part-time mothers. Um, it seems to be where we, a lot of us end up. Um, and by end up, I don't mean that necessarily negatively because I think we do really great work and we um, – you know, aspire to do well every day in what we do. Yes. But there is an end game a little bit with the kind of work I do, which is there's not a lot of growth. But I don't think everyone woke up and said, I hope when I'm in my early 40s that I am really good at Excel and that um, I don't do anything else except filing most of my week. <laughs> um, that's not really what we would have aspired to be. But it's interesting the way we're treated. We often get given things like, can you set up the meeting room and wash those glasses? I kid you not. Um, yes, as admin people, we're meant to be supporting, but I don't think admin meant washing up. 
and yet because – and people say, say it's not sexist because we're asking the admin team to do it, but the admin team is predominantly female yeah. and I'm pretty sure we're not sitting there doing nothing. We do have other things to do. So if you drink from your glass, you can clean your glass. Well, my first legal job, I was the first woman they had hired in their 100-year history. First lunch of all the junior lawyers – Peggy, would you unwrap the sandwiches? Oh. And I said, I don't think that's in my job description. And they looked at me kind of shocked. Go uh, Peggy. Because it was the first time, I suppose, an admin staff had not come around to, or they weren't yet there, but I do. Uh, but you sort of think, Well, you were the wow. closest thing, I was right? the closest thing and was it be taken seriously. I did go to court and they asked me when the lawyer was coming, but that was another story. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> Man. So uh, oh. that's right. But um, the Tim have, as you see your organization change, I was just thinking, what about the backlash? That's we're seeing a bit of that now, that it's because there are too many women around. There are too many opportunities given to them, and, of course, things are going to go wrong when you have these inexperienced people that you've just given jobs to. Yeah, we've destroyed the, the joint. Yeah. 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 What happens yeah. to the middle-aged, white, male, pale, stale? What's the yeah. word terms they do? Yeah. To the man. <laughs> Look, I, I don't doubt that there is a degree of fear amongst some men feeling like this will discriminate against them. I, I've spent a bit of time in our organisation trying to explore that and where might it exist. Um, I, I think because we're hiring... A lot of people. So, you know, at the start of this year, we were 1,500 people. If we hit our goals by the end of the year, we'll be about 18 or 1,900. In organisations, we can almost absorb the change by growth, um, which I think is easier. Um, but the reality is that's what it is. So, my experience um, has been we haven't had a lot of backlash yet. Um, if, I, if and things, I say yet, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it might be that we just haven't got to the edge of it. Yeah, okay. so, so just to put a few numbers out there, uh, when I joined as a male champion of change, we were 38% women. Uh, a couple of years down the road, we're now 42% women in the workforce. Um, back then, it was 37% women in managerial and leadership roles, so close to the 38% representation. Uh, today, it's 41, so still close to that 42, where it is across the the workplace. And so for us, the, the thing there is about really increasing uh, female participation in our software engineering teams. And and so that's the So part. that's why the investment in STEM is really vital in terms of the, the champions of change. Yes. And, and so it's what we can do there systematically, but yeah. also within our business. Um, just because that's the population doesn't mean we can't do things differently. Um, and, and we've set a target to say 40% of entry roles at MYB in software engineering will be women. And so, you know, and in our first year, we've hit that, which, which is great. But it might be once we get a bit further down the track with that, where we're really trying to create change where the backlash might kick in. Yes. And we're probably just too early in the journey, to be honest, for it to have had teeth that, um, that, that would be feeling that bite. And Peggy, you work in the law and you work in AFL football. Oh, like, like these are, um, it's not necessarily male, female, but they're quite established cultures, like in your experience of making change within cultures like the law and uh, AFL. Where do you start? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it, it's, 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 like you say, it's an established business model, especially the law. You sell time. Yeah. And the people who have more time to sell are usually the ones who move up the ladder to positions. So you have to intentionally make that model different if you want other 
types of people represented because tr- traditionally it's men who have a lot of support at home who can throw themselves into that and and make money. And that's the way that the laws usually worked. I said that the law prepared me for sport because the senior women in both are very, very small number of, uh, of women. Um, AFL, I think um, that for anyone, when you're trying to to make a difference, if the door opens and it comes to you as a woman, you got to walk through and right. say, uh, I'll, the worst thing that can happen is I'm no good at this, yeah. and I go back to doing what I did before. Yeah. Um, but but you do want to be sure, and I felt this way at Richmond. I'd been on the board eight years before I became president, that I knew the organization and they knew me, and the board elected me as president. And they wanted you to succeed. And they wanted me to succeed. Um, I had been part, uh, several years before, part of the committee that hired the CEO. I thought that we could work well together. Um, so I thought this is probably as close to um, a, a good chance of success, uh, not knowing what I was walking into and realizing after about a week that it wasn't just chairing the board, which I knew I would be fine to do that, and I knew the organization, but you became representative of something bigger. And because it was a change, there was an initial how did that happen and where did she come from and she didn't play, she's not even from here. Um, and it took yeah, me a, a year or so to mm. figure out that it was because I was an unknown. And as as they get to know you and then ultimately when you have success, you get the benefit of the doubt after a while and <laughs> that maybe this, this woman thing and this American thing isn't so outrageous that they could come in and actually be interested enough and commit enough time and, and wow. have the energy. But it goes back to thinking you have the temperament and the skills to fulfill that job. And I thought I did, but it wouldn't have been a success if I hadn't had a lot of support from uh, from the club. And um, the other uh, people, all men who are chairman of the other clubs, a tremendous amount of support. We don't see each other that often, sure. but I feel like I could call on any of them because they understand what you're doing. It doesn't mean you're best friends, but it means that um, that you have someone who's who, who thinks about you and hoping that you win. And I had a real outsupporting of joy on my behalf by a lot of those people. It's amazing. Okay. It's amazing what a positive reception can do though, isn't it? Like if you've got, it's hard enough to do jobs really, really well, but if you have to then also be battling attitude and things like that, um, that's great. And I'm really glad yeah. I'm meeting you today. <laughs> yeah. Both of you, both of you. I mean, and I adore after, you, Colin, obviously. Um, oh, and, then you. After, <laughs> and then after a while, when you find your feet, you think, well, I've, I've, Prove the first is okay, and uh, and I'll push harder. And we have more women on our board now. We have uh, sort of a recruiting strategy. There have to be women in the final pool. We've identified hot jobs at the club that we want to open up to non-traditional, meaning women could apply for that. Uh, our community programs. We want to be sure, and I think all clubs should be like, should be this way. We want everybody to be part of us. Yeah, and sure. we want everybody to be barracking for us, and we want everybody to think that they have a home. And so, in a way, that's 
sort of the society we hope that we have. Yeah, and it's a hard, it's it's a long road to get there. But if you just stick with it, and and we were the guinea pigs for uh, the gender equity report that I mentioned before, is we said for two years we'll try to implement some of these recommendations, and some of them we didn't hit, but we know how hard it is to hit those, and others we did, and we reported our scorecard and we put it out there, and we're still working on those things, and the challenge cha- it changes all the time, uh, but I think we're all committed to not going backwards and i'd love to see uh, at least half the clubs have women as president absolutely (laughs) take that handmaid's tale (laughs) that's right that's right i mean i've got thousands of questions that i could keep on asking we could i'm a sagittarian is that what you're gonna Uh, ask no no 42 i know i'm 38 can i can i pose one more question to each of our guests and then we might even just have a quick pause and then some you know start to Colin, I grant up. you permission. Thank you. And thank you thank for you. showing respect to the So, <laughs> So my, my two-parted question, one to each of you, and they're slightly different. Um, um, I'll ask, ask it both and then hear from you. Tim, the question I would ask you is how has it actually changed you as a person, this, this experience? Like how are you different in the way you lead or um, – no. Well, I, I asked the person question first. How are you different as a person? The question I would ask of you, Peggy, is the one around – um, and I'll take the AFL lead on this one. Um, the extra pressure that you might feel in terms of how much of a societal driver um, things like the AFL actually are. Like if we talk about um, it's not just the, the, the boardroom, it's the, uh, the fan behaviour, it's the how a, how a man leaves the game and how they treat their children or their their partner or um, how much AFL actually means to a society. Um, so I might even start with you first, like your yeah. your sense of how much does that um, affect your decision-making or your thoughts? Well, as a board, you want, as I said before, you want to make uh, the best decisions you can in the long-term interests of the club. But what you realize early on is sport occupies a special place in Australian life. Yes. And, uh, and AFL clubs do as well. And until the last couple of years, it's always been men who played and men who spoke. And, uh, and the power of those men taking on board these messages of change and saying them, it penetrates into parts of this country that, that no – business leader, no politician, no clergy can do anymore. There's a trust in our sporting heroes, which is why I think we get so disappointed if they do something wrong. Yes. Um, But it provides you a platform to do a lot of good and to say a lot of messages that that get through. And so I, I think it's a real privilege to have that. And you've got to to take it while you can, and uh, and our club has the our purpose, and I think having been a purpose-driven organization means a lot too. It's called connecting to thrive and win. Yes. It's not just to win, but to thrive, and that means people who work there thrive, our, our members thrive. That we want people to be the, the best that they can, and we want to contribute to that. So uh, things about domestic violence and how how women are treated equally in all parts of our society. Um, contributes to lessening the violence against women, and that's been shown. So I, I think that those sorts of messages, it's very important for clubs to take the opportunity to um, to use that platform. Yeah, well, 
Love it. Let's take that to uh, the politicians and uh, have them implement it in mm. question time or whatever it is they do. <laughs> Absolutely. And Tim, my question to you is a, a, that sort of more personal, how has it changed you? Yeah, look, I think um, this has been an amazing journey for me and, and I'd say I'm quite early on in that journey. But um, I, I think I'm just more aware of as a person um, you know, to the point that Peggy was making, more aware of the opportunity in front of me to do things that will change inside MYOB, but will also hopefully ripple out and change others. And so um, f- for me, it, it, that, that's probably the primary um, changes, that I'm, I'm just more aware and more aware at a micro level and, and at a macro level. It's reinvigorated me. Right. I'm, I'm 10 years as the CEO of a publicly listed business. That is unusual. Um, and I've always been very, very passionate about MYV's vision to help businesses succeed and really believed in the positive role that business can play in the community and the importance of thriving businesses to have a growing economy, to create opportunities and growth for people, to create a tax base for the nation and so on. Uh, but it's also genuinely for me opened up another opportunity of the way in which we can help the community thrive. Um, so those, those were And we're even taking... Your experience in New York says it's even at a global, yeah. potentially at a global basis yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, what a humbling moment to take our story of MYOB to the United Nations to try and inspire, you know, programs in other parts of the world to create change. Wow. wow. I'd be pretty proud of that. Yeah, that's right. That's fabulous. I'd be damn proud of that. Yeah. And this person won a premiership. I know. Don't <laughs> that's right. Right. I'd be proud of that. That's right. We just had to do some fan stuff yeah. as well, you know. Yeah. So um, let's have maybe a, just a quick break and we'll come back. Thank you. I'm going to throw to you, Peggy, because you have a question of Tim. You wanted to find out some more information. Yes, um, I'm really interested to hear what uh, Tim said and very impressed about how much work's already been done in a short time. Uh, but Tim, in some of your comments, you talked about measuring participation, measuring pay equity. Do you work to targets for um, women in your organisation across all those things or is it quotas or, or where did you come up with the measurements? So we do work to targets, we work to goals, we haven't set them as quotas. And sometimes this um, becomes a little bit definitional, but um, our perspective is we have goals right across the company. We have financial goals, we have goals in terms of engagement, goals in terms of customer satisfaction, and we have goals in terms of gender representation. Um, Quotas often bring about the concept that I would only hire one person uh, whatever the quota is set around, because that is the quota. Language is so important. It's it, incredible. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is. And and I think that that can bring about the she only got the job because. Yes. The um, merit yeah. argument. Yeah. And so what we've been really um, thought, well, what, what we have pursued has been we need people to understand the logic of why this makes business sense. And if we get people's hearts and minds into understanding the data and the facts are quite clear, then it's a sensible thing for them to do and it's coherent with the rest of our goals in the organisation. Where we see areas that aren't making progress, where we see areas that are going backwards, then we ask the question, 
why? What's happened? All right, well, we need to therefore dig and understand and, you know, the five whys, ask why five times and you'll get to the root cause of whatever the underlying issue is. So for us it is about goals um, and I've had lots of debates with people about surely the most effective way is to put in place quotas but culturally for us as an organisation we're not a top-down directive organisation, we're an intellectual property organisation, we try and bring people who think about their work to work and so I think a more sustained way of doing it getting back to the what will survive me as leader in the organization is actually to convince people of the importance of this because of the business imperative to set goals targets be very clear very transparent about those and measure people against the achievement of those goals. Does that, does that <laughs> it does it, it, it's um, interesting your comment um, I, I chaired an inquiry for the state government on women and girls in sport and active recreation, and, and we did um, a number of uh, sessions around the state just to hear what people in uh, local areas and, and what change they would like to see. And uh, it was surprising, almost uniformly, uh, in no matter which part of the state we went to, they wanted to put in quotas for running the local sporting organizations because without it, they said change would never happen. And uh, one person said to me, targets are there to be missed. Um, and and oh, we wow. were – and I was thinking, gee, they're way out ahead of us, but I think it was because uh, sometimes in small towns there's a lot of power associated with running a local netball, football, yeah, right. yeah. Uh, yeah. and that sort of thing, and that just moved on from family to family, that if you want to break it as a state government, if funding is dependent on getting new people in, that's about the only way that they could see there would be a change. And so it has a place, and um, and we recommended as part of our inquiry that uh, – state funding be dependent on starting to make progress toward uh, a quota of 40 percent women because the gender part was what we were looking at as opposed to diversity and uh, there was a lot of resistance at first but now I see there's all sorts of programs around the state uh, how to find women how to get them ready for your board your board has to meet this this um, this quota after time but that's but there was a obviously a financial lever that could be pulled there and uh, and it was a way of making sure change happened pretty quickly in a small yeah and I also think it depends where the starting point is yes uh, for us we were starting in a not bad place mm-hmm. and what we really wanted to do was look for where the holes are yeah. and how do we fill those holes uh, but it is a very active debate and also I think the public money and public funding going there mm-hmm. sets different expectations at yeah. times and as that, well that's why we came down to thinking that if it's public money it ought to be open to everybody who's a taxpayer in Victoria so. yeah do you have quotas at Richmond no, we have expectations that we measure ourselves against and targets. Um, small organizations, it's really difficult, especially in management. The board, you can manage a bit better, actually, and we three of nine are now women. Um, and we're looking for more, and we have a great pool of candidates. But change doesn't happen very often when you have a small organization. If you have high-performing people already, you can't just replace them, but you've got to be sure that when the opportunity comes up that you look at a good pool of candidates and you don't automatically just default to the way it's been done in the past. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the point, though, isn't it? We can't always default to how things have been done in the past. And the fact that earlier on, Tim, you had said after the listening groups that there is what what was interesting was there's no set model and I think you both 
said that with quotas and targets that there is no set model but there's many possibilities and I feel like that might be a good time to do a, a quick whip around the room and see what people are thinking and what you'd like to I guess your summation or um, your final thoughts for today I'll start with you Tim um, on the topic and what we've talked about if you got a final thought or a takeout Look, if, if there's one message that I might close on, it's um, predominantly to the men who uh, are listening. I think um, for a long time the um, the role that men assumed, um, particularly when it came um, to gender equity, was one of not getting in the way. Um, so I, you know, I would never discriminate against. I try to watch the language that I use, etc. I would like to put to you that that's simply not enough and mm. that that's not going to create the change. And what um, men need to be doing is thinking far more proactively about what are those systematic um, biases, systematic impediments that are in place in the systems that they're responsible for that prevent there being a 50-50. So, you know, if not, why not? Just keep asking the question, 50-50, if not, why not? And you'll find that there are things that are systemic and systematic um, that you can change relatively easily. So I, I just encourage people to say, you know, don't be passive. It, it, it can be a little bit daunting entering. You certainly put yourself at risk by starting these conversations. But... It, if you genuinely want the organisation that you're a part of to be better and stronger, then I just encourage you to move from that passive sort of I won't block it to a proactive I'm going to hold myself to account. Amanda, can Fantastic. I ex extend that because I... Yes, you can. Oh, um, I don't know, Colin, can you? No, I'd, I'd, well, I'd love to. Um, it's not just the passiveness, I think it's the compliance that um, I'm really starting to pick up on now, the, that sense of most, um, most people want to do the right thing and they're waiting for the rules or they're waiting for, if it's not the rules, at least the guidelines. Yeah. Can you give me clarity about what I can say, what I can't say? And yet this whole conversation is much more nuanced than that. Um, even the, the last piece around quotas versus other ways of driving behavioural change or, or, or changing culture, it's going to depend on the organisation. It's going to depend on its stage of maturity. It's going to depend, depend on a lot of things. Um, so the word that keeps on ringing loud in my ears is that conversation. It's the entering the conversation with an open mind and I suspect an open heart that says, um, I'm going to learn something here if I'm prepared to. Uh, and uh, I think, in fact, Peggy, it reminds me of when I, we first did a, a little piece of work even last year. I think it was that first start of the listening tour, uh, which you uh, referred to as well, Tim. Uh, and, and I agree, it's not enough. The listening is not enough. But at the very least, that's the place to start. I think that that's an important message of being honest and doing an assessment of where your organization is. And if you think you're okay, think again, yeah. uh, because there's so much for everybody to do. And sometimes it seems daunting that, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to get there, but it's, it is a long-term proposition. 
And I'm always a fan of doing what you can when you can. Mm -hmm. And just those incremental gains over time, you'll find yourself in a place you might never have thought. Don't start at the end. You might have a goal, but you got to start. You got to do something. You have to have some action rather than intent. And um, so I I think that listening is the first step, but you got to have action after that. Great. And Amanda? Um, Just from listening today, I feel like, I feel positive. I feel hopeful that, that, that you know, it, like you said, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in the next year, but it might happen in the next five to ten years. It might not take 182 years now, which is great because I won't live to see that. And I think it will happen. I my head. I, what I'm really struck by, and um, this is really telling for me, it's the peer accountability that um, I think in this day and age, in 2018, is almost the only way that stuff really sticks. So it's the peer accountability with it's, you know, as male CEOs, champions yeah. of change that we hold, hold ourselves to account. Um, it's, it's all of that that gives me added optimism that this will stick. Um, I, has anyone got anything to add before we go? No, that's brilliant. Fantastic. Thank Fine. you so much, Peggy. Thank you, Tim. As welcome, always, thank you, Colin. And thank you, Paul. Thanks, Mum, Dad. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, thank you, listeners. Thank you. We are Leadership of Fools and we will talk with you again soon. Goodbye. Leadership of Fools is gathering momentum. If you want to get on board, feel free to jump onto iTunes to subscribe. That way you'll be up to date with all the latest episodes. And if you're enjoying them, rate us with all them stars.